Parenting is often lived in the extremes. It's either great joy or chaotic overwhelm. In one moment you're nailing it and the next you're losing your cool. I want to help you find your way to the messy middle, to a place of balance. You see, balance is a verb, not a state of being. It is a thing you do, not a thing you are. It is an action, a process, a series of micro-corrections that you make each and every day to keep yourself feeling centered. We are never truly balanced. We are engaged in the process of balancing. Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, and this is the Balanced Parent Podcast, where overwhelmed, stressed out, and disconnected parents go to find tools, mindset shifts, and practices to help them stop yelling at the people they love and start connecting on a deeper level, all delivered with heaping doses of grace and compassion. Join me in conversations that will help you get clear on your goals and values and start showing up in your parenting, your relationships, your life with open-hearted authenticity and balance. Let's go. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Laura Froyan. And on this week's episode of the Balanced Parent Podcast, we're going to be digging in a little bit into um, how we can feel more empowered in our parenting without using kind of the traditional power currencies, control, fear, and hierarchy with our kids. And to have this conversation with me is an expert in redefining power, Christian De La Huerta. Thank you so much for being here with us. Will you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Hey, uh, Laura, thanks so much for having me. Uh, appreciate being on the show and having a conversation with you. Yeah, I've been doing personal transformation work as a coach and a retreat facilitator for, God, over 30 years now, 30 years plus. On different themes, personal empowerment, women's empowerment, specifically relationships and navigating conscious relationships, life purpose what it means to live heroically in the 21st century. And I feel really honored and blessed that I get to do this work that makes a difference in real human lives. Yeah, I so agree. It's very fulfilling to get to do this work with families and parents and individuals. Okay, so when it comes to power, oftentimes we think power means having power over someone, but I think you have a different definition of power. Can you talk to us just a little bit about what you mean by power? Exactly. You just encapsulated it. We tend to think of power as power over. And what I'm suggesting is a much more effective strategy is power with. So what I've realized over the years, you know, working on this theme is that most of us have an ambivalent, maybe even conflicted relationship to power. Part of us is afraid of it. And I think what we fear at the core, like if we really stepped into our own power that other people couldn't hack it, they couldn't handle it and that we might end up rejected and alone. Mm. I think we also fear that we might abuse it and cause harm. And no wonder. All we got to do is turn on the news on any given day to realize that, to witness at least one abuse of power. And add to that the fact that we've been conditioned to believe that power is a bad thing. It's a negative thing. With quotes like, power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. So what good-hearted person wants to be corrupted? And so when you add to that mix what you know, like we have also been conditioned to run away from the emotions. Somewhere along the way, Mm -hmm. we label the emotions weakness. 
And when the reality is the emotions are not, neither strength nor weakness, they're not good, they're not bad, they're just energies, energies that course through our body. But when you put all that into the mix, what happens is that we end up giving our power away, our innate, inherent power that no one can give to us, no one can take away. We are the only ones who give it away. And the sad part to me is that we give it away for lame reasons. We settle for less, for an illusion of security. We, we say yes when inside we feel no for a false sense of acceptance. We play small and stuff ourselves into smaller packages uh, for morsels of, of pseudo-love. And so what this book talks about is that there is a different way that we can relate to power doesn't have to be about what you were talking about. It doesn't have to be about force and fear and domination and control and hierarchy, that there is a way that we can step into our own power in a way that doesn't require for us to push anybody down or step on them in order for us to prep ourselves up and feel powerful. Okay. So I feel like I can feel kind of all of the, my listeners leaning in in this moment, because I think that that's what they want in their relationships with their children and with their partners in their homes and in their families. They want that sense of feeling empowered and sure of themselves without having to dominate or be domineering with their partners or with their kids. Hey, Balanced Parents. What if I told you that you never had to experience the shame and guilt of yelling at your kids ever again? Now, I'm not saying that you'll never lose your cool again, or that you're going to magically turn into a perfect mother, father, or caregiver. That's not real. It's truly impossible. You're human, you're imperfect, and you're going to make mistakes. But I can help you understand why you lose your cool and know what to do so that it happens less and less. And I can help you let go of blame and shame and guilt that are only keeping you stuck in your own patterns. And I can also teach you how to get the pause so that you can respond consciously rather than react. Now, what I'm about to invite you to is only three days. And this work, as I'm sure you know, takes more than three days, but it's a good place to start. So I'd love to invite you to my reactivity to responsiveness challenge that's coming up at the end of September. You can get in and join right now by going to www.laurafroyan.com slash reactivity, or just click the link that's in the show notes for this episode. Again, this is not going to solve all your problems, but it is going to give you some really powerful tools and a way, a method for working through your triggers and releasing them. I hope you'll join me. Check it out at laurafroyan.com slash reactivity. See you there. I think a lot of people at this point will be asking, okay, so how and what does that look like in lived practice? Yeah. And of course, we all know that with kids, there's a whole other layer to it that sometimes, you know, we have to be directive with kids for their own good. We have to be leaders of them. Yes. So here's two things to answer your question. One of them is understanding ourselves and why we do the things we do. What are the subconscious drivers that sometimes have us doing or saying things that we then regret, right? So we, we get caught in these cycles of react and regret. So that's one area of it. The other area is understanding that the different types of power. So for example, I talk about worldly power or ego power, egoic power, the way that the world thinks about power. We tend to think of, of it as people who, you know, who have money, who are famous, people who, who have some kind of authoritarian role or dictatorial role. 
or they're high up in some kind of hierarchy, whether it's a, a, the corporate ladder or a religious institution or whatever. But to think about all those kinds of power, that they're external to us. So they're fickle, here today, gone tomorrow. Whereas the other kind of power that you and I are both alluding to and talking about is inherent to us. I call it spiritual power, soulful power, call it whatever you want. It's that kind of power that's inside each and every one of us and that we are the only ones who can give away. Nobody can really take it away from us unless we give it away. And so whereas worldly power, it always has an agenda and it's always, it's self-serving. It's trying to get something for itself and it's always blowing itself up to seem bigger than it is. The soulful power is, it's humble. And it's more about service. And it doesn't need to prove anything to anybody. And it comes from, from a different place that is about helping other people and making a difference. And it's actually incredibly powerful. I, I might even argue that it's more powerful and humble in the sense of, you know, think about a, a Gandhi or Gandalf from the Lord of the Rings and, and their simple monastic robes or sandal feet from looking at them. You'd never know how much power they hold until it's needed. And then watch out. Like Gandhi brought the British Empire to its knees without shooting a gun or landing a punch. That's power. And that's the kind of power that you and I are, are referring to. You said something there that made me really think about situations that lots of parents find themselves in, where they feel like in order to feel powerful or in charge in their homes, they need their kids to listen to them. And I think that's one of the ways that we give up our power to our kids, that we, when we need, rely on their compliance in order for us to feel like we are empowered as parents, then we go to tactics to have power over. We go to control and punishments and threats to regain that sense of power that we know we're supposed to have and that we know our kids need us to have it because our kids need us to feel, you know, to need us to be in leadership so that they can feel safe and secure to be kids, right? The way we go about getting that power is different. So tell me a little bit more then about how parents can shift if they are, they're noticing this about themselves, that they feel disempowered in their parenting, where they feel like their kids are the ones who are running the ship, are in charge, and they feel like they have to use these more negative, more external ways to kind of get that feeling of, I have power, I have control in this situation. Um, and how we can shift into a more soulful, if that's mm -hmm. the, you know, the word that we're using for this conversation, sense of in, kind of internal power mm -hmm. and surety. Yeah. And so that's one of those examples that we were talking about of where subconscious drivers mm -hmm. are impacting us. So in that scenario, it's the feeling of powerlessness that's inside of us, right? That, mm -hmm. that we came yeah. into the relationship even before these kids were born. Right. So, so it's that's on us. That's in us. And so part of it is it's self-awareness, right? Because that's the first step, because we can't do anything about what we don't see or are not aware of. So that's the importance of being willing to do this work of, of engaging in, in a coaching relationship with somebody like you or, so, or a therapeutic process with someone like you, so that we become aware of these blind spots of these patterns and behavior, sometimes they're self-sabotaging behaviors that we're not even aware of why we do the things we do. Sometimes we get caught in relationship patterns that feel like we're in the same boring movie, maybe with a different actor, the different, the co-lead is different, but it's the same boring crap with the same patterns and the same issues. And so at some point we got to get real 
and honest with ourselves and realize that there is one constant, one common denominator in every relationship, every one of those arguments, every one of those conflicts that we've been in. And so and like that's turning, <laughs> that's it. Like, who else? Yeah. Who else? That's the importance of, of being self-aware. And, you know, and to say that this binary, the difference between worldly power and spiritual power or authentic power is not black and white. And it's not a binary that's all bad. Like there's some cases in which that external power is called for. Like if a kid's running out into the middle of oncoming traffic, it's not a time to have a rational discussion with them. It's like you yank them by the hand and maybe even like you raise your voice so they get it. It's for their own good. And that's the difference, right? Where it's coming from. It's not just reacting because we feel powerless or because we feel out of control, because we feel overwhelmed. That's not what's driving it. In this case, in like in a moment of presence and clarity, we make the choice to use the emotional energies for their own good, right? So they really get it. Or another example, like we're standing, happen to be standing in front of an auditorium filled with, you know, whether it's kids or adults, it doesn't matter. And the fire alarm goes off. It's not a time just to, to have a, a discussion like to the effect of, okay, you wonderful, beautiful souls. How many of you think we should use that exit and raise your hands? Beautiful, beautiful. Okay. How many of you think we should use that exit? <laughs> it's like, no, right. We, we direct them, go, 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 right. Because that's what's needed and that's what's necessary. Again, it's not a black and white. There are uses for both. But the point is to make the choice consciously rather than reacting from, from stuff we're not even aware of. Yes. Okay. So I love that. Awareness is always that first piece. And then if you're noticing that you are kind of stuck in that react and regret cycle, how can you shift into, you know, you become aware, here I am, I'm having this consistent pattern where I'm reacting one way and regretting it later. And I'm stuck in this cycle, though, how do we make that shift out of it? You know, I think that this example that we're talking about with the kids running into the street, I have done a number of podcast interviews. And that example has come up several times because it's such a clear cut obvious example of course we cannot let the three-year-old run into the street we know we can't right. they know we can't and we are confident in using our bigger size and our bigger brains to set that and hold that boundary but in those gray areas you know where mm -hmm. it's time you know it's not life or death if they turn off the tv right now it's not life or death if they get into bed and turn off their light and quit reading right now it's not life or death if they eat their broccoli at the dinner table you know those more gray areas and we get I think our bodies respond like the kids running out into the street based on <laughs> our past experiences, our triggers. And so what do we do then to get out of that react and regret kind of cycle that many of us as parents get stuck in? Yeah, I mean, that's another great question. And I think we, I go back to the same answer, right? Self-awareness. Mm -hmm. so, so the fir first step is becoming aware of our triggers before we get sucked into them. Once we get yeah. sucked into them, then it's too late. Right, then we just got to write it out and, and clean up the mess afterwards. So what we're trying to do is by becoming more aware and more present is to nip it at the bud before we go over the waterfall and just get sucked away by the current of, of the situation. So become of the patterns and especially, you know, the things that most of us know about, like, especially if we're tired, if we're hungry, if we ha haven't had enough sleep, that makes us extra aware that we're very likable to get hijacked and get pull down that current and then it's too late 
And so another thing that's really important to know about, like no matter what the theme of my retreats is, I always include breath work, which we can talk about later maybe, but it's, it's the most effective healing technique that I know in terms of, of healing past trauma and clearing emotions, uh, stuck emotions or repressed emotions. The other thing that I always talk about and teach about is understanding the ego mind, because that is the source of all our suffering. It's, it's where all our triggers lie. A lot of the times that we think we're reacting to a present situation, we're actually reacting to previous similar situations in which we weren't able to be ourselves, to take a stand for ourselves. So we walk around with us, all this unhealed stuff, all these past traumas, all this, all these psychological stuff, and so most of it's suppressed that we're not even aware of. And so somebody in the present moment, say a kid saying, you know, like being passive aggressive and, and not turning off the TV or, or, the, mm-hmm. or the computer or whatever. And then we get triggered. It triggers all those previous similar situations where we stuffed our power, where we said yes, when inside we feel no. And we feel that's, that's what gets us if, if we don't pause in that moment like that that's the moment when we start feeling those physical symptoms which we all know right when we're headed in that direction the heart starts palpitating it starts beating faster the breathing gets shorter sometimes we even start breathing our palms get sweaty we feel that rush of heat and energy right that's the moment that the minute we start feeling that that's the moment of awareness mm-hmm. if you wait like even 60 seconds is too late We've got to be present in the moment. So the minute we start feeling those physical symptoms, we pause, right? And that's what we're doing. We're pressing pause Mm -hmm. before we get sucked into that reaction, because that's the only thing that, that can happen after that is regret, after we react. So what we wanted to do, the ego is all about reacting. What we want to do is choose how we respond. And we get to choose energy right we get to choose the emotions like if we get to use our anger if we want to this is not about becoming doormats it's we're we're talking about a journey of personal empowerment so but it's to do it consciously so by pausing it's we get to wait a minute i feel like i'm about to get triggered and you can feel it i'm about to go there take a deep breath right that's the first step the breath will change everything. There's swamis in India that have that much control over their body that they can tell the heart to slow down and the heart slows down. Mm-hmm. Now, they can even mimic some of them states that are so close to, so similar to death that it's hard to identify with it, the difference. Most of us aren't there yet and we'll probably never get to those points. But anybody can slow down the breath. Mm-hmm. When we slow down the breath, though, this is what happens. The heart has no choice. We slow down the breath, the heart has to slow down. When the heart slows down, the body starts relaxing and the nervous system begins to quiet down. Begins with that slowing down the breath and deepening the breath. Mm -hmm. So that's one important thing that we can do. And right away, the other thing that, that we can do is, you know, buy some time. Like this is getting into another conversation, which I don't know that we have time to get into, but it's called the amygdala hijack. Yeah. Which let's talk which, about it. We're all you brain, wanna? Oh, we're totally brain nerds here. So yes. Okay, all right. All right. Let's do it. Let's do it because it's really helpful. Yeah. So we tend to think about having one brain, but we know we actually have three brains. And mm-hmm. so the oldest brain is the reptilian brain that's at the top of the, the spinal cord, develops in humans from age zero to 18 months. 
and it's responsible for the autonomic functions of the body, for re you know, regulating temperature, keeping the heart beating, that kind of thing. Above that, from age around two to six, it's the mammalian brain, the limbic system, the, the center of the emotions. And so for those of you who have kids, you know, it's really important to realize that at the same time, the ego, so that, that sense of individual personality begins to take form exactly the same time that center of the emotions begins to, to really develop around age two. So hence the terrible twos. Yeah, we like and... to call them the transitional twos around here because <laughs> they are transitioning <laughs> well, and they're, it's a big place of transition. <laughs> so true. So true. Yeah. I stand corrected. Transitional <laughs> twos. I like that. And so then above that, from age six to, we used to think into the teens and now we know it's not even until the middle twenties. It's what we think of as the brain, the neocortex, that center for abstract thinking, logic, planning, strategizing, all that kind of stuff. But that brain that makes us so smart. So on either side of the brain, like the point of intersection, but if you can make a line from the eyes and the ears, there's two glands on either side of the brain called the amygdalas, which are almond shaped. That's what amygdala means, almond in, in Greek. And, and so when information comes into the brain from the senses, it first goes through the hypothalamus, which is like a computer router. So that hypothalamus sends that information simultaneously to the thinking brain and to the amygdalas. The, the pathway to the amygdalas is the shortest. So they get the information first. When the amygdalas receive that sensory information and interpret it as danger, threat, mm -hmm. right? It responds in three very predictable ways that we all know, right? Fight, flight, or freeze. And we can see that in the animal kingdom. Animals that when they feel threatened, they fight. Others, like the, the flock animals, the herd animals, they flee. And some that freeze, like the turtle or, or the possum playing dead. Mm -hmm. We're wired the same way. And we tend to have one that is our MO, but we can do all of them. And so that's called the amygdala hijack. So the amygdala hijacks our ability to choose. And that explains that reactivity, right? That explains what we get triggered and then react immediately. That's one way of understanding it. The ego is the other way of understanding it. So that's the good news and the bad news, right? The bad news, it means we're going to react. And because that's the way we're hardwired. The good news, it means that when our brain biochemistry just got the best out of us in that moment. And so the amygdala hijack lasts eight to 10 seconds. And what do we do with all this information? And what's amazing is that our grandmothers knew intuitively before we understood the brain biochemistry, which is only like 30 years old yeah. or so. And so what would they tell us, right? What do, what do we do when we get upset, when we get angry? Count right? to 10. Count to 10. <laughs> the amygdala hijack. Brilliant grandmothers. <laughs> I know. And then what, what else would they tell us? That's what we want to do. We want to hijack the amygdala hijack. And we want to reclaim our ability to choose by breathing, by taking the deep, regular breath, consistent breath, and buying time. If we wait too long, it's too late. Once the biochemicals are released into the body, then it takes more than 10 seconds. It takes you know minutes. We can begin to calm our, ourselves down. But if we nip it at the bud, we can do it, but, it, but it's got to be fast, right? So that onset of those symptoms that we were talking about. So the other thing we want to do is reactivate the thinking, right? So by time, like so-and-so, I'm going to get through this, but I can't do it right now. I'm going to go walk around the block, sit by the bay, and, and I'll come back. 
right? So buy time. I love too that I think it's helpful to, in a calm moment, like right now, as you're listening to this, to write down three things that you could say to buy this time for yourself mm. and memorize them. There's no, like, triggers are going to happen. It's no secret. We don't need to be surprised by them. Like, they're happening. We may as well be prepared for them, right? So why not have three things that you've memorized, you've practiced your delivery. They, you know, you don't have to come up with something on the spur of the moment. Why rely on your ability to come up on some, with something on the spur of the moment? Practice it, have it prepared. Just something quick you can say. That, That's and, right. Brilliant. And tell your kids too. Say, kids, I'm working on being less reactive so that I am apologizing to you less, you know, and I, I don't want to say those things anymore. And sometimes the, my feelings get the best of me. I get overwhelmed and that's not okay with me. And so if you hear me say this to you, just know I love you and I'm going to take a break and I'm working to calm myself down so that I don't say anything I regret. Tell our kids these things, you know? Brilliant. I love that because that points to the third thing that happens, right? Which is when the amygdala hijacks happens. The amygdalas not only do those three things, fight, float, or freeze, but they cut off, they shut off communication to the thinking brain. So now, now we're like in trouble because now we're like in DEFCON 1, like high alert, high defense, and we can't even think straight. So that's what you're saying. It's so wise to have it, like memorize it, have it ready at your fingertips because at the moment we're not even thinking straight. So that's the other thing that we want to do, like like reactivate the thinking, keep the thinking going and clear before the amygdala shuts it down. So ask questions of them and ourselves. So both. So ask them, like, can you, so-and-so, can you help me understand why you feel the way you do, right? So even if it's, hopefully it's legitimate that we want to know, but even if we're just buying time, it's all right, buy time, mm. Right. So keep engaging that brain function of thinking, of clear thinking. And yes, absolutely ask questions of ourselves because that's where the opportunities for growth are so that we don't get triggered because ultimately that's what we want. We don't want to be triggered because as long as we got those triggers going, as long as we got those personal buttons going, anybody can press them and we react. So what we want is to be able to learn to flatten those buttons so that anybody can do X, Y, Z and they don't get us. We don't react. And so that begins that line of thinking is like, huh, so this is not the first time this has happened. What was my part in it? What was my role in it? When did I override my intuition? When I, when I first had a sense about that red flag, when did I override that? When did I ignore that? What's the pattern here? Like, what are the, you know, like, like keep zooming out, keep asking yourself questions because so that we become aware. What were the steps leading up to it so that we can see the triggers. And next time when it happens, we can identify the steps leading up to it sooner ahead of the curve. (laughs) Yeah. I like asking myself, what am I making this mean about myself or my relationship (laughs) or my child? We tell ourselves so many stories, you know, so we, I like that one. I like asking myself, is that true? So when I catch myself thinking things like, oh, she's never going to learn this or, you know, why does she have to be so difficult? She's so hard all the time. I have one child who's, is my spirited one who really knows how to advocate for herself. It's beautiful and wonderful, but I I have lots of stories about that. And (laughs) I have to ask myself, is that actually true? Is she actually difficult all the time? And of course she's not difficult all the time. 
yeah. no, she's not difficult. And most of those stories are rooted in the same narratives I heard about myself when I was her age, when I was little. Yes, you know? yes, yes, yes. Brilliant questions to add to that. Yeah, I love getting curious with yourself. And I like that idea too. I like bringing that brain piece into it that it's by engaging the thinking brain, you're keeping yourself up in those the higher order brain. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's brilliant. Yeah. And the curiosity thing that you just mentioned is really good too, because the ego, it's really judgmental, (laughs) both of others and of ourselves. Like, especially the things we tell ourselves about ourselves, we would never, ever, ever say to anybody else. We are so cruel with ourselves. And that's that ego, right? So by understanding how the ego works, which I spent the first probably quarter of the book diving into that, because if we want to have relationships that have a chance at working, if we want to have a sense of personal empowerment, if we want to have a life that is filled with meaning, with purpose, we've got to understand what the ego is and how it works and how it keeps us in a self-made prison of fear and limitation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so important to also note that the same process that we've been discussing that's going on within us when we are having our triggers is also happening within our partners when we're disagreeing with them and within our kids too. And their brains are even less developed and they're, they're even less experienced with emotions and regulating them. And as a family therapist by training, that's what my PhD is in. I seeing that interplay of kind of two egos and two narratives that are going on simultaneously at the same time as two people are interacting. It's complicated and tough and hard. So parents who are figuring this out, it's it's a lot. Don't Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. And it's not easy. In fact, it's not easy. I say it's heroic. It's heroic work. Mm -hmm. And so worthwhile because we're willing to do the work. It takes work to look at ourselves, to look at our patterns, to look at our pasts that in some cases we spent a lifetime running away from or self-medicating and numbing ourselves out not to feel and not to remember. But if we're willing to do that, because that stuff we know doesn't go away just because we we don't look at it, we can't sweep it under the rug. Like it's still having an impact on our behaviors, on our relationships, on the, our, or the quality of our lives from the subconscious. So that's why it's so important to be willing to ask these questions and to figure out why we do the things we do. What are the patterns? What are the triggers? So that we can get free and bring choice back into the equation rather than get stuck in these boring, repetitive, tired old patterns that we've done a thousand times. They do this, I do that. They do this, I do that. Eh, 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 eh. Boring. Right. And that conscious choice, that's where the power comes from. We go out seeking it from outside source, seeking it in my kids listening to me, my kids doing what I say, my, you know, my partner respecting me, you know, it really comes, that power comes from having that conscious awareness and choice within ourselves, right? And let me tell you the story that I was, it's not with the the interaction was not with a kid, but might as well could have. Kids are humans too. (laughs) Right. And the woman might, might even said they could have been replaceable because it was an argument with her husband. In their case, they'd been married probably, I don't know, 20, 30 years, I forget. Long time. And they got into this repetitive argument. 
he would get in from wherever he was going. He would put the keys on the wrong place and I forget what the wrong place was. And then she would either react or she would nag or she would withdraw and withhold herself and withhold inter interaction and love, which we've all done all those things. And so then, you know, like he would do X and she would do Y. Uh, 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 uh. It never, ever ended well. Uh, because those things is what you're talking about. It becomes like a, an ego reaction thing. Like your ego's reacting to mine and then mine's reacting to yours and it just keeps escalating. Yeah. It becomes a battle of the egos. And so after two, after just one of these conversations, one of the sessions with me, was a, I was working with, I think it was a group of 10, 12 women, something like that. She just said, you know what? It's not worth it. It's not worth it for me to get sucked into this argument over and over again over the keys. I'm not going to react. I'm just going to let it be all right. And so he came home and he put the keys in the wrong place and she didn't react. Just kept on going. Did it again the next day. Didn't react. Long story short, I think we had maybe two weeks before sessions. By the next session, he'd stop putting the keys in the wrong place without her even saying a word. Just mm -hmm. by choosing not to react. By choosing to pop herself out of the merry-go-round. Of he would do this and she would do that. I think that that can be a really hard pill to swallow for lots mm -hmm. of people. Because I think that there's so many stories that go into interactions like that. So many narratives that we're telling about ourselves and what it means and what it means about our partner if they aren't doing these things. That we And it is incredibly difficult to step off that merry ground. To step, it is. To step it out is. of that river and, and just not engage in it anymore. And there is a difference, I think, too, between doing that, choosing from an empowered place of, I'm just, this is, I am not going to react to that anymore. That is not my business. That is not for me and I am not going to give up my power in in this way in this cycle anymore. There's a difference between that and stuffing. Yes. Attempting to ignore being a doormat. Those are two separate things but they yes. can look so similar. Yes. Yeah. It's the come from that's different. Mhm. Mm and so then that like I I think that that makes all the difference in the world because I know that there will be people who would in that same scenario, not say anything about the keys, but just stew and simmer about right. it. For, right, exactly. Know, and that's not the same thing because it's, it's not. You're still letting that scenario have power over you. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, brilliant observation. It is totally different. It's nuanced and behavior could be the same, but it's, it's the internal state that lets yeah. us know what's going on. Because if you're, in, if you're stewing inside, it's like you're still reacting. You're still reacting. You're still re and you're still at the effect of it. You've given away your power to this sometimes insignificant thing. Like who cares? Really, ultimately, in the bigger scheme of things, where the keys are. And so, but it's you're right. It's like she was adding layers of meaning to that. Layers, like, he so does, many layers of meaning. He doesn't care about me. It's like he doesn't listen to me. He doesn't value me. And it's really her not feeling empowered or seen or heard. And not to rationalize or exonerate his behavior, but that pattern was in her way before she had met him, right? That was really old of not feeling seen and not feeling, feeling heard. And so that's the button. Yeah. Right? That's the, mis the misunderstanding from probably early childhood that she didn't feel seen, she didn't feel heard, and then she added layers of meaning to that. 
what is don't they love me am i not lovable what is wrong with me and because those are hard questions to see especially for a young person for a young mind we suppress them and we stuff them and we overcompensate for them and that explains perfectionism right where we're overcompensating for not feeling good enough for feeling like there's something wrong with us so then we have to go all the way to the other extreme to prove to the world and ourselves that we're okay that we're good that we are good enough I would argue too that we subconsciously choose the partners who are most likely to push those buttons. Yes. To invite us to do yes. that work. Um, yes. So if you have a partner or a kid who's pushing your buttons, that's not by chance, that's on purpose, and that's an invitation. Yes, it's this an opportunity. Should, yeah, it's an opportunity for growth and healing. Yeah. And, and Carl Jung, the psychologist, which whom you also know, you know, said that we attract, that some of our buttons are blind spots that we're never going to see. So he, he says that we attract people into our lives yeah. and create situations in our lives so that we can see these areas that are in need of healing. Yes, I 100% agree. And, you yeah. know, I, I get pushback sometimes in my communities from folks who are not yet parents who think that parents should do their healing work before they have kids and that it's their responsibility to do that before they have kids and not while they're parenting and yes that would be wonderful but i also think our kids show us our blind spots too yeah i think that there are some parts of my own healing that could never have happened if i wasn't a parent because it was necessary for there to be that level of investment and pull and identity Mm-hmm. with this other wrapped up in this other person it's like they crack us open and shine a light on all the little shadowy parts totally know? like you know sometimes i joke if i were to have a conversation if I, were, if I had a bone to pick with a creator or the create tricks that it would be two things one about mosquitoes oh my right? god like, <laughs> like <laughs> i can understand cockroaches i can understand all other critters except mosquitoes like, right, why? (laughs) Can't bads feed on something else? And then the other one is like, it may not have been a bad idea to have some kind of an emotional maturity test before we can reproduce. Reproducing (laughs) is too easy. But then, you know, it's, it's like, who decides that? And at what point have we done enough healing? Because healing is, it's a lifetime journey. It's never done. It's never done. And we continue growing and evolving. So who gets to decide when we're emotionally mature to have a child. I know. I so agree. I do think it's our responsibility for our Mm -hmm. kids to do that healing work and to not let, you know, as much as we can, not let our wounds impact, like to keep them from being passed down. But our kids will have their work to do too. Even if we parented in what we thought was the most textbook perfect way, there's another human being on the receiving end of that parenting who has their own ego, their own interpretations, their own fears and worries and narratives that they're crafting all the time. And we can't control that. Mm-mm. It's not within our power, you know? And never will. Never will. It never will be. Okay. Well, I felt this was a really lovely conversation. Thank you for all of this. These were wonderful big things that I think people can really use to shift out of that react and regret cycle and into more conscious awareness. Thank you for this. 
Thank you so much for having me as a guest. I enjoyed the conversation and you, I know you and I could have kept on going another <laughs> <so> hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Well, um, yeah, absolutely. And thank you for having the podcast. And I know in your willingness to do that, you're impacting countless people and countless lives because it ripples effect, Yeah. right? You impact the way that people are going to react and not react, but respond to and relate to their children. So- Thank you. Oh, gosh, that feels very good to hear. Thank you. My ego likes that. <laughs> <laughs> Tell our listeners where they can go to find you, to find your book and find out more about the work that you do. So the book is titled Awakening the Soul of Power. And by the way, I got a great endorsement from music icon Gloria Estefan, which I'm still kind of blown away by. <laughs> and it's available wherever books are sold. They can get it at their local bookstore if they want to support them, or they can get it on Amazon. In terms of reaching me, probably the best way is my website, which is soulfulpower.com. And from there, they can access my social media. And for your audience, if they will go to soulfulpower.com and get on my email list, and we know how easy it is to click unsubscribe down the road if you choose to. But just by, get, by getting on my email list, they'll get a sample chapter from the book. They'll get some power practices that are designed to apply the teachings to our lives. So they don't stay at the level of information because we don't need more information. We got information overload. What we need is transformation. And that's what those practices are designed to do, to apply them and integrate them into our lives. And then they'll get a, a guided meditation, a teaching and recorded meditation about trust, which I created specifically to support people through these challenging times of, of chaos and uncertainty and fear. Oh, well, thank you so much for that. I hope they all go and check it out. I know I will. Thank you, Christian, so much. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you. Okay, so thanks for listening today. Um, remember to subscribe to the podcast. And if it was helpful, leave me a review. That really helps others find the podcast and join us in this really important work of um, creating a parenthood that we don't have to escape from and creating a childhood for our kids that they don't have to recover from. And if you're listening, grab a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so that I can give you a shout out um, and definitely go follow me on Instagram. I'm at Laura Froyan PhD. Um, that's where you can get a behind the scenes look at what balanced conscious parenting looks like in action with my family. And plus I share a lot of other really great resources there too. All right. That's it for me today. I hope that you keep taking really good care of your kids and your family and each other, and most importantly of yourself. And just remember, balance is a verb and you're already doing it. You've got this. <laughs>